The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Father, we just thank you for this morning, God. We thank you that, Lord, your word is powerful. Father, that it brings down strongholds. Father, that it feeds and nourishes and builds our life. And God, that it's truth that we can stand on, Lord, whether we're in a good season of life, Lord, or whether we're in a storm. Father, we can always turn to and trust in you and trust in your word. So, God, we thank you for it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and lead us in your word today. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to get it into our mind and our heart. Help it to fall on good soil, not on distraction, Lord, or on other cares. But, Lord, let us be focused on your word and filled up today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you should have in your notes, and also I think we'll have it on the screen, but you should have it also just in your bulletins. Uh, We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit today. We've talked about, in the past two weeks, we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are, are actual abilities that God gives you in order to perform his work in the world. So there's gifts of serving, there's gifts of mercy, there's gifts of, of um, giving, there's gifts of prophecy. There's different gifts that God gives so that he says, I'm giving you this, and it's an actual ability to do something. So like, you know, Donnie's gifted in construction. He can build things. Okay, that's a gift that God's given him, and that God can even come upon to do ministry through serving. It's not a gift that God gave me, and that's okay, <laughs> because I'm just not able to do that. I remember once when we lived in Bend, Oregon, my wife came and she said, hey, my mom would like you to hang up a shelf in our garage. Would you do that? And trying to be a good son-in-law and a good husband, I said, sure, I could do that. Now it's a new home. And, you know, when you get a new home, it's kind of like a new car. You don't want to scratch it, so you park it at the other end of the parking lot and everything until it gets its first couple dings. You try to take care of it. So you want your new home to stay nice. So she asked if I'd do that. I said, yes. I go out there, and I've got... 12 holes drilled into the garage. Uh, I've got one of those little white L-shaped pieces of metal in the sheetrock, and it still spins around like it's not got any structural stability to it whatsoever. And I still don't have a single screw in a stud or anything close to being able to hang a shelf on. And I was using a drill and a stud finder, and I could find nothing. So eventually my wife comes out, and she just comes over quietly, and she says, my mom would like to know if you would not hang a shelf in our garage. (laughs) Would that be okay? (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) Whatever makes everybody happy. So I left it there, and of course she called in help. I think Jason's the one that came and hung those, or somebody she called, I don't remember, but called and said, hey, we're going to pay you to come hang a shelf. And so I had to walk away, because I don't have that gift. So God gives us different gifts and abilities so that he can work through us. But this is different. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, fruit of the Spirit, think about a tree and fruit. Fruit isn't something that you do. Fruit is something that you are that produces out of who you are. Okay, and so it's not about doing, it's about being. Okay, so we're going to go through these different gifts, but first we're going to read a passage of Scripture. It's in your bulletins. It'll be up on the screen out of Galatians chapter 5. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to go a little bit before that in Galatians because we want to get the whole context. So we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read together through verse 26. 
Okay, and then after that, we're going to break this down and talk about it. But verse thir- 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church of his time. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We talked about that the last couple weeks. It's about serving. It's about loving. It's about caring for one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So he's saying, live for each other and show the love of God. Okay, that's the main purpose of being here. Verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So what he's saying is, we have natural desires, even now still as Christians. Okay, well, if I'm a Christian, how come sometimes I still want to punch someone in the face? If I was a Christian, how come sometimes I still want to drink away my problems and stresses? Well, I'm a Christian. How come sometimes I still get depressed or have anxiety? I thought I'm a Christian. I thought I'm born again. Okay, being born again doesn't mean you're born out of the world. You're still in the world. Okay, being born again means that now you have the nature of God working in your life so that when the world is coming against you and when all of these temptations are surrounding you, there's now something in your heart that wants to live for God. It's different. You have a new nature. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I truly gave my life to Jesus as an adult, people told me the right things to do, but I didn't want to do them. And so they could train me and kind of get me in a place of obedience for a little while so I could be a good husband, so I could be a good man, but inside my heart was constantly trying to steer out of the lane. Have you ever had a car where the alignment was off? And you're trying to drive, and if you don't keep your hands on that wheel... Like, if you let go for just a second, your car starts to turn, right? And so you can't drive it drowsy. You can't drive it distracted, because if you start to just even let go for a second, you're heading for a ditch. That's our nature before we're born again. Our nature, our very heart, wants to steer off of the road and into destruction. That's what we want to do. But when God comes in, our nature starts to change, and we have a desire to try to stay in God's path and follow His ways— But that doesn't mean life isn't curvy and windy and we don't have to stay focused on him. It just means now there's a desire to do it. And God wants to work in us that way. And so this is what he's talking about. This thing goes back and forth between the Holy Spirit and between our nature that still wants to do wrong things. And so he's praying that the Spirit would guide them. And it goes on. It says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law or to our sinful nature. We're not under obligation to that anymore. When I was coming out of addiction and just different things that I was in, as God has given me a new heart, a friend of mine that was mentoring me and and kind of speaking into my life, a father in the faith, he told me a short poem that I've never forgot, but it is that two natures beat inside my chest. One is evil and one is blessed. The new I love, the old I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Whichever part of you you feed, that will be the one that has the strength in your life. What are you feeding? What are you feeding with the shows you watch? What are you feeding with the music you listen to? What are you feeding with the conversations you have? What are you feeding with the thoughts that you dwell on? Because if you're feeding the the sinful nature, if you're feeding the nature that is selfish and self-centered and afraid and wants to do wrong things, if that's what you're feeding... And you say, well, if I'm a Christian, how come this pulls me so hard? 
Well, there's your answer. You're feeding something that's growing strength in an area that you're supposed to be killing, right? The Bible says to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to be killing so that there's room for the Spirit to grow. If you have a garden, okay, gardening isn't just planting food or flowers. Gardening is also weeding and pulling out, okay? It's not enough to read your Bible, pray, attend church, okay? There's also a weeding that has to happen where you have to be willing to go into your own life and say, God, what doesn't belong here? What do you want me to take out of here? Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's offense. Maybe it's some kind of a drug use or alcohol or some type of thought that you dwell on that's negative. Maybe it's just simple as too much time spending on a hobby where you don't have time for the things of God. Whatever it is, you say, God, what do you want to take out? Not so that I stay barren and just flat dirt and there's no joy in my life, but because you want room to plant the good things that are going to grow out of my life. The things that you want there. And so there's a weeding and there's a planting, and if we plant properly and weed properly, it makes room for things to grow in our life. And so going on to verse 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's things that come out of that. Sexual immorality. You know, here's the thing, I'll just say, as oftentimes Christians like to focus on what we feel are the worst sexual immoralities in our judgmental minds. We would like to focus on people that are living um, in, uh, that have done rape or done uh, some type of sexual abuse or somebody that's living in homosexuality or somebody that's doing something that we're like, oh my gosh, that's really terrible. But God looks at the heart as well. And for the guy that's still looking at porn or the guy that's still lusting all the time or the gal that's doing that, God is looking at that as sexual immorality too. God sees that, and God knows that, and it crowds out His Spirit in our heart. Okay, so it's important to not only look at others and say, well, look at that issue, or look at that problem, it's bigger than mine, but to look at our own heart and say, God, is this something in my life that crowds out room for you to plant your Spirit and for the fruit of your Spirit to come out? And so it goes on, these are the things that are wrong. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. All these things come out of our heart. They start to just grow out of us if we're feeding that side of ourselves and not feeding the side of the Spirit. It goes on, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And this is where we're going to end up focusing today. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that grow out of the heart of someone that's serving the Lord and is letting the Holy Spirit have room in their heart. It says, against these there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Let me just tell you this. Putting to, get, putting to death old parts of your nature is not comfortable. Well, I tried that, but it's so hard. Welcome to the life of faith. Nowhere does the Bible say it will be easy. I try not to complain, but it's so hard because there's so many bad things going on in my life. Okay? 
The Bible doesn't say it's going to be easy, but it says to do it. Well, how do I do it? How do I crucify it? How do I put it off and focus on something else? Is that you don't allow it to be something that you dwell on and you hold in your heart. You have to take a, an attitude of aggression towards wrong thinking as a bitterness towards your spouse or as a, a jealousy towards someone else or as some type of passion or desire that's not there. You don't entertain it and play with it, but you become aggressive to get it out. You know, when pulling weeds out of a garden, okay, you watch little kids do it and sometimes they're there and they're pulling on it and they're just kind of, and the thing won't get out. It won't come out. And it's like they're just so gentle and they're trying to just pull it and a little leaf comes off, but the thing stays in there. If you want it out, you grab a shovel or you grab a pick and you hammer that thing out. You pull it out. You don't worry if some dirt comes out with it because you can always put the dirt back. But you get aggressive to get it out because it's causing harm to the garden. It's causing harm to the area that you're trying to have growth in. And so if you have an area that you're struggling in, you've got to be serious about ripping those things out. That means going to somebody else and saying, you know, I can't get this one out. I've been trying to pull this and it's too big for me. Can you help me? And get somebody else to come in with you and say, let's pray and let's focus and let's pull this out of your life. Let's have some accountability. Let's pray together. Let's go through some scripture. Let's dig this out together. And being able to be open that way, if it's something that's in your life that causes you to constantly stumble, it's pulling that out. Well, I'm on my phone late at night getting on things I shouldn't be. Then don't have your phone late at night. Okay, stop doing that. Well, I can't. Yes, you can. Okay, there's things as believers that we have to be willing to move forward in so that God has room to plant the fruit of the Spirit in. It takes repentance. It takes turning to God and walking with God. We can't grow both at the same time. Okay, I wasn't even planning at all. It's not even in my notes. Planning at all to focus on the weeding part of this. But I just feel like the Lord's saying, you know what, there's some people in here, you're trying to follow the Lord, you're trying to walk with the Lord, and you wonder, why do I always struggle? Why is it so hard? You are the reason it's so hard. I just hate to tell you that, but it's you. You have to let go of the part of sin that you're holding on to because it's going to always be a desire. It says the desires of the flesh. That means you continue to desire it, and you have to be willing to kill it and let it go and focus on what God has. That same verse we just read with Leah May, his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. If you're willing to truly let it go and walk away, even though it's hard, God's strength and his power will pull you through it. Okay, and as he does, he's going to bring grace into the situation. So go get accountability. Go have someone pray with you. Open up. Your life the way it is right now is not what you want it to be anyway. What do you have to lose? You're already struggling sometimes under depression or anxiety, stress, dissatisfaction, a lack of fulfillment. You're already there. And you're there because you're struggling between these two things. Just let it go. You can't grow weeds and garden at the same time. You've got to choose you got to pull some things out. Let's bow our heads and pray real quick. I want to pray over this because I think God wants to let a few people, lead a few people to just let go of some areas in your life. You know, God died for you. He loves you. He wants to bring good into your life, but he can't do it until you want to let go of some of the things that don't belong. Father, I just lift everyone up today. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, as your word says, would convict the world both of sin and righteousness, God, of the things that are not of you and the things that are of you, and I pray right now, God, that you'd bring that conviction. 
I pray, God, that you would bring, God, that repentance. Lord, your word says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Father, that a godly sorrow comes in our heart and it leads us to repentance, which is to turn away from the things that don't work and to turn towards you who loves us and welcomes us with open arms and wants to bring blessing and goodness into our life. And so, God, I pray right now you give them, Lord, just a burning of your Holy Spirit, Father, to come into your presence and to walk away from some of those things they've been holding on to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to move on uh, into these different gifts. It talks about kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So now we're going to actually dive into these. So you have these in your notes, and I've got the actual original Greek definitions in here, which I think are interesting. So we're going to kind of dig through these. The first fruit is love. Now, the love it's talking about is agape love. Okay, and this is important because this is a type of love that doesn't just mean, like, I love you and I'll be there for you, but it actually means a preference for. I prefer you. Okay, and we don't like to have uh, people that have preferences or have favorites or anything like that. But, you know, God has favorites. You are his favorite. God prefers you. God wants to know you. God wants to be with you. You know, you think of Leah May. God didn't just uh, spare her life because he has a purpose and a plan for her, although he does. He also spared her life because he loves her. He prefers her. He wants to know her. He wants to watch her grow into an adult, and he wants to watch her have the life that he has for her, not just so she can get something done, but because he prefers and loves and wants to know her. God loves you that way. He prefers you that way. He wants to walk with you out of your pain, out of your discomfort, out of your selfishness, out of whatever struggle you have, and he wants to walk with you towards his goodness relationally, not just functionally. He doesn't just want to say, okay, well, I'm the one that helps fix things, and you need it fixed, so I fix you, and I set you back on your path, and you're good to go. That's functional. What he wants is relational. I see you're hurt. I see you're down. I see you're maybe even raging against me, but I want to pick you up. I want to put my arm around you, and I want to walk with you down the road of life. I want to be with you. Okay, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us from the beginning, and he loves you right now, and he wants to walk with you. But that's the love that should come into our heart, is a love that prefers. Well, prefers what? Well, if it's the love of the Spirit, it prefers others. Because why? God loved and preferred us. And sacrificed for us. So then if the Holy Spirit's working in me and the fruit of the Spirit comes out and that kind of love comes through my heart, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to prefer to love someone else. When I'm in a situation, I think, well, there's a better side and there's a worse side. You know, before Twix, and you bought a candy bar and it was just one candy bar. Like that, one bar. And your parents bought you a candy bar and said, here, share this. Anybody ever had that happen before? Here, share that. That's before mini candy bars, which were probably invented by a family counselor. <laughs> so you can just pass out pieces. And Twix, probably invented by the same person. <laughs> they just gave out one candy bar. And if you wanted there to be more for everybody, you went king size, which didn't solve the problem at all because kids are endlessly selfish. It's like, okay, the candy bar is this big. I'll give it to you. Share it. There's not enough. Okay, I'm going to give you one this big. Share it. There's not enough. It's for me. And so we used to have to do this thing when I was a kid. My mom would say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut it in half, okay? And then, well, you, one of you two kids will cut it in half, and the other one gets to pick, this, pick first, which one they want. Okay, now the cutter becomes really meticulous. 
the tape measures out. They're trying to get it just right. They don't want to lose any. They want exactly half. Because we're inherently selfish. We want all that's for us. This kind of love is not like that. This kind of love prefers others. This kind of love says, I don't care how you cut it, but if one side's bigger, I want them to have it. I want them to be cared for. This kind of love doesn't just pray that God comes through in your life and blesses you. This kind of love spends more time praying for others that God will bless their life and that God will come through for them. You know, my wife and I went on a prayer walk last night. We spent most of the time walking praying for people in this church, praying that God by name, that God will bring you blessing, that God will care for you. We know some of your situations. We pray that God would come through that God would do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. We prayed for you because this kind of love manifests itself by caring for someone else and giving them the bigger half of the candy bar, not worrying about how much you get. And it's dependent. The cycle is kind of dependent upon everybody being that way. Because while I'm out praying for you, see, in God's plan, you are out praying for me. And so everyone's getting covered. And so we do it as a family. We do it together. Okay, joy. This is an interesting word because we think of joy like just, oh, it's happiness, and we're having fun, it's a party, or just this deep joy like, you know, it can't be, can't be moved, it can't be rocked, I've just got joy. Okay, let me say, that kind of joy confuses me. Okay, I understand that kind of peace where my, my peace is despite any circumstance. Okay, but it's kind of hard to have joy without actually having happiness. I don't know how you separate the two of them. You ever seen a joyful person that's just frowning and scowling and unhappy? Like, look at him, is something wrong with you? Nope, I'm joyful. You don't look joyful. Well, I am. It's the kind of joy that can't be shaken. Leave me alone. Joy and happiness kind of come together. We try to over-spiritualize it and say, well, if they've got, you know, joy, that's more important than happiness. No, the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy, the oil of gladness, more than his companions. Joy and gladness, they're kind of a twin package. When someone's joyful, you'll see it in their life. They're happy, they're excited, they're thankful. And so here's what this word actually means. It actually means that it's God's grace, his favor, and, quote, grace recognized. So real joy comes from this concept in our heart that we recognize the grace and favor of God in our life. And it brings great joy to us. Like, I live under the grace of God. Do you know what? I might have got a bad situation right now in my life, but do you know what? God's working together for my good because I live under the grace of God. You know, we had a furniture store. We lost our furniture store. That was hard. But I never lost hope in the middle of it. I never lost my joy. When it went away, I didn't spend three months grieving that it's gone. Because I knew, you know what, God might be taking that away, but God is for me. I have his favor, and something good is coming out of this. It's because he has a different mission for me now. He has a different job for me. He has a different place for me to put my hands to work. God has something good for me still. And so my joy remains because it was never in the thing that was made, but it was in the one who made the thing. It's totally different. And that's what it is. Joy is grace recognized. I know that I have God's grace and favor on my life. Peace. This is an interesting one as well, and this is a peace that's a wholeness. It doesn't just mean that there's no fighting, right? Oh, I wish there was less fighting, less arguing. I wish there was less strife. It's not talking about that, but it's talking about peace, like a shalom, which means a, a wholeness and a completeness of how things are supposed to be. 
God created the heavens and the earth, and after six days of making everything, when things were complete, guess what he did? He rested. He had peace. Why? Because there was nothing undone. Everything was whole. Everything was finished. Okay, so peace is this place in our heart where we come to a realization that, you know, everything is whole. Everything is good. Okay, God has completed and finished everything. And for that to happen, it's important for us to be a part of a body. Because as we learned the last couple weeks in the gifts of the Spirit, that God makes one a hand and one a foot, and he does all these things. Why? So that all come together and make a whole body. The peace of God comes in relationship. Okay? It doesn't come in independence. It comes when we are actually working together with others, and when a storm starts to come or a difficulty starts to come, suddenly somebody else speaks into my life and helps me and encourages me, and so peace comes back in. When I'm getting too focused on my problem and it's starting to just cause me anxiety and stress, somebody else comes in with a bigger need and God uses me to serve them, right? And it's this back and forth that happens and it brings peace. It brings wholeness. And so we never come self-consumed with our problem or our issue or our difficulty, but there's a wholeness of God's Spirit working and our family of faith working and our own life working. It all is coming together and mixing together. And it's creating this wholeness of sense of peace. You might be going through a hard time and it's hard to celebrate because maybe your finances are tight. And in your own bubble of yourself, you can't find a place of peace. But if you open your eyes and look at your neighbor who just went from having no job to getting a great job better than they've ever had in their life and getting promoted, and you can look at them and say, wow, I can celebrate with them, and we serve the same God who loves me too, so I know God's going to take care of me. I see a wholeness of peace comes in because I can see the bigger picture. That's what it's talking about. Kindness. And this word means that it's not just kindness, like, well, they're kind, you know, if something bad happens, they're kind, they're nice to you. But it's actually a kindness that's suitable for use. In other words, you see the need, and you meet the need. Right? You see the need that's there, and it might not even be your normal skill set, but you see it, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to step out of even myself. I'm going to do what's suitable for this situation. I'm going to help this person with the problem that they're going through. You know, I may not have a gift of counseling, but I'm the only one around, and this person looks like they need someone to sit and listen and to talk to. So I'm going to shut down my plans that I had for the next couple of hours. I'm going to sit and just listen and talk with them. It's looking for not just to be kind or to be nice or to pat someone on the back. The Bible talks about that. It's not good to tell someone that's hungry or that's cold to, you know, God bless you. You But we're supposed to actually put a coat on them. We're actually supposed to feed them. We're supposed to help them. Because it's not just kindness in word, but it's kindness in action. It's doing something that's suitable for the need to be a blessing and to fit the need and to help. Patience, which I jumped over. I didn't want to talk about it. But we'll go back because it's in there. Anybody struggle with patience before? All right, I know every mom should have your hand up, okay? I know that not just because I'm married to a mom, but because I had a mom. Okay, patience is hard. Okay, it's even harder, I think, sometimes for dads because we just like things to be done. Just boom, let's make it right. Oh, you having a problem in there? Come here, I'll bring the hammer. You know, like we bring construction into our family dynamics, right? It's like, oh, you're having a problem with that? Let's knock some walls down. Who's the problem? Bring them in here. We're going to knock some emotional walls down. No, they need your love. No, they don't. They need a remodel. I'm kicking some walls down. I'm banging some things off, and I'm going to put something new up. 
You go in there and just come and just try to dominate a situation and crush your little girl's feelings. You bad, bad men. I've never done that. <laughs> I like kids in here. They know better than that. I've struggled sometimes with patience. Okay, because you can see in your mind how things are supposed to be, and when they're not being done that way, you just want to come in and just fix them, get it over with. Let's just get it done. Oh, they got a limp. Let's cut that leg off. They won't have a limp anymore. Right? It's to go overboard. Okay, well, it talks about that in patience. It says, it's waiting a sufficient time before it expresses anger. Okay, it avoids premature use of force or retribution. Okay, it's like, it waits. Here's the problem with waiting. Okay, if you wait until the appropriate time for force and anger, you will eventually realize there's not very many appropriate times. Which sure takes the fun out of it sometimes. <laughs> you want to do something. That's our sinful nature. It wants to just have a rage. It wants to punch a wall. It wants to do something aggressive. And you realize that if I just wait, that God shows me it's not really needed. And it's just a tool that just doesn't really need to come out of the box. Okay, and patience comes in. Goodness. This is different than just being a good guy or a good gal. Well, well she's good. This is an inherent quality. It's an inherent goodness. It comes out of the actual soul. Okay? So it's not just about your outward reaction, but it's about a state of your own heart that it actually lives in a place of moral character. It lives in a place of moral quality and goodness that God is trying to, through your own heart, express himself. And there's a goodness there. It, you don't have to get built up for it. You don't have to, like, think about it and dwell on it and try to be like, okay, well, this situation, what's the right thing to do? But in the middle of a, a quick situation where you don't have time to think and you just react, that the goodness of God comes out of it. Okay, we saw that with Jesus many times. Okay, the lady pushes through the crowd, grabs the hem of his garment, power drains out of him. But in the moment, he calls her forward and he honors her. When other people, if you've ever been drained and tired, and somebody comes and demands a little bit extra from you, and your first reaction is harsh. Like, leave me alone. Like, why are they bothering me? See, Jesus' initial reaction, even though he was tired, and he was surrounded, and he was busy, and someone came and asked him for a little bit more, his initial reaction was, who was that? I'm going to honor them. Okay? It comes out of our actual character. It's God in us coming through. Faith. Okay? And this is about persuasion. And it's not something, you know, there's a gift of faith and we just get it and we have a bigger faith than other people. But this is a faith that's talking about that grows. It increases. And it moves forward. And so it says it's to be persuaded to come to trust. So it actually grows in trust. It's through relationship. It's through ongoingness. Your faith in God should be different right now than it was the day that you first gave your life to him. Okay, that's where your faith should be. Why? Because you've experienced his faithfulness. You've experienced his trust. You've walked with him. Okay, and so now you know him more, and you can trust him more. You've been through some battles with him, and you know that he cares for you and that he's going to walk with you. And so it grows and increases. Gentleness. This is talking about a gentle strength. This is a strength that doesn't have to prove itself. It doesn't have to show itself off. It's not a strongman competition. 
You know, you have these stories, if you Google and read, of these amazing feats that people do for their loved ones. They're trapped under a log, or they're trapped under something, and they shouldn't be able to lift it. But in the moment, this strength comes where they go over, and they grab it, and they lift it off, and they rescue somebody. People are like, how did you do that? This strength comes through out of their love and devotion to this person, and they just do these huge feats of strength. It's not about showing off, but it's a strength that comes in the moment of need, and it comes from a depth of love and character. It's gentle, but it's available when it's needed. Not to harm or to hurt, but to lift and to help and to heal. It comes in. You know, you see that in our life when somebody's going through a hard time, and you think, well, I don't know about that person. I don't know their character that much. But suddenly you go through a difficult circumstance, And that person comes alongside, and they're there. They're meeting the need. They're lifting you up. They're caring for you. They're walking through the fire with you. And the whole entire situation finally passes, and you look back and say, man, that person has some strength. They walked with me through that difficult, difficult thing, and they never, ever showed weakness. They never walked away. They just stayed there with me. They pushed through. They fought the fight. And you realize that strength when it's in the deepest need. It's like a building that goes through an earthquake and it shakes. And you never see the pillars. You don't see the foundation. You don't see the anchors. You don't see the things that make it strong. But when there's a shaking and you think that should fall down, and it stays in place, you realize it's not the decorations that did that. It's not all the pretty pictures. It's not the flowers. It's not the vases that did that. There's something inside that's deeper that it was strength, and when the hard time came, it kept it together. And so it's talking about that kind of a depth of strength that comes in gentleness. It's not something you have to see. It's not something you have to show off. It's not harsh words. It's also not weakness. Gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness is this ability, you know, almost like an elephant, to look like it has... It's big, but it doesn't have any strength. And look how lazy they are. But you get an elephant, man, upset because you're trying to take this little elephant baby, and those things can get wild quick. And they're strong. They can trample, and they can do whatever they can to go rescue. Because there's a strength in there that's not always on display. It usually looks gentle. looks like you could keep it in your backyard. But when it's needed, the power comes out. And that's what it's talking about, is a gentleness but yet has a strength that's in reserve for when it's needed. It's in reserve for when it's got to come through. I'm your friend. I love you. I care for you. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm your sister in Christ. But if you go through a hard time, I'm going to stand and pray with you. I'm going to be a warrior for you. I'll fast with you. I'll come over and help you through it. I'll counsel with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be there because there's strength that comes from the Holy Spirit working in us. Self-control. And this is and the last line of this is the important part, I think, of the definition. It says, proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. So self-control, it doesn't just come from me trying to control my outward actions. But self-control that comes from within, with the Holy Spirit working in my heart to cause me to have control in situations that maybe I should lose control. Because you don't need self-control unless there's something happening that would cause you to want to act out of, out of control. Okay? Well, I usually I have self-control, but sometimes, man, if I just get mad, I just slip out. Well, no, you don't have self-control. 
Self-control is when you're able to control your mind and your heart and your word and your tongues when the situation is pushing you to be out of control. Okay, that's what it is. It's like the traction assistance in your car. Well, I don't think it works. It's never happening. Like I drive and the traction assistance never goes on. Well, it's not supposed to. It goes on when you hit ice. It goes on when you hit water. It goes on when you hit a difficult thing. That's when it turns on and you see it. So if you say, well, my traction control works great, except for when I hit the ice, then it doesn't work very well. Well, guess what? I would probably go to a mechanic because it ain't working. That's what it's for. So if the self-control is only good until there's something that wants you to be out of control, and then you're like, well, that's when I lose my self-control, it's time to go to what this is talking about, which is self-control that proceeds out of yourself, but it's not from yourself. You need supernatural self-control, something that comes by the Spirit of God living in you and working in you. And so all these things come by the Holy Spirit. And these aren't about what we do, these are about what we are. Okay, and they work together with the gifts. Okay, and that's important because the Bible talks about, in Corinthians, it talks about that if we have all these gifts, if we prophesy, if we speak in tongues, if we do all these things, but we don't have love, it's not worth anything. Okay, so it's talking there about the gifts of the Spirit, the things we do, we prophesy, we do all these different things, and then it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have love, it's not worth anything. And the two have to come together. Okay, it's not just the thought that counts. Okay, it's the wholeness that counts. Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit, doing things for the right reasons and out of who God's made you to be? And are you taking action and doing things that impact others' lives? It's the coming together of the two. That's what God is after in us as believers. Because through that, He can show things to the world around us that He wants to show. If you think about fruit, okay, and we're going to end on this, what's the purpose of fruit? Does fruit feed the tree? If I'm a tree right here and I'm growing fruit, who is the fruit for? Is it for the tree? And if not, who's it for? That's what we have to think about as believers. God is talking about us being a tree and the fruit growing out of our life that comes because we're rooted in Christ. Okay, and the Holy Spirit has come and he's filling us up and out of that growth is happening. Okay, and then out of that growth, fruit comes. And so looking back at these things, these aren't things that God is wanting to produce in your life for your own enjoyment. When it talks about love, he's not wanting to produce love so that, well, I have a feeling of love and I always feel loved and safe. He loves you and he always wants you to feel safe, but that's not what it's talking about. Because fruit isn't for the tree. It talks about joy. Well, so I can always experience joy and feel very joyful. He wants you to feel joyful. But we're not to be consumers of our own joy. We're to be sharers of his joy. It grows in us and we offer it out as fruit so that people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, how did I come to know Christ? Well, somebody, man, I was around them. They just had this joy. And they were always sharing their joy with me. And they loved me when I didn't even feel lovable. They just kept loving on me. Man, I was going through a season where I was out of control. And they came in and they showed me self-control. And they showed me how to actually have some peace in my life. And they showed me, they basically fed me some of the fruits of God's spirit. And it caused this thing to stir up in my heart to say, how can I have that? 
You know, we have a family that gave their life to the Lord. This happened several times. But one I'm thinking of is we had a family that gave their life to the Lord when we were living in Vancouver, and we were just hanging out with them and just getting to know them, and their kids were in school with our kids. And one day the husband says, how do you guys live? Like, can we come, like, to church or hang out with you guys? We want to figure this out. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I don't know how you guys got what you have, but I want to have what you guys have. He wasn't talking about our cars or our house, anything. He was saying, there's something going on here that I want to experience for myself. What was he tasting? He wasn't tasting us. He was tasting the fruit of God's Spirit growing out of our life. Okay, so it's important for us as believers to realize that as God increases these things in us, he wants us to share them with others, which means, one, we need to be in a place that others are at that need that fruit. We need to put ourselves in environments where there's hungry people, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, whether it's at some type of uh, social event, Whatever it is, we need to actually intentionally put ourselves in our fruit. It's like we're always going to a potluck. Whenever we go somewhere and we know there's going to be people around that don't know Jesus, we should first pray and be on our way and saying, God, help me to share something with someone today that helps them to taste and see that you're good. Instead of worrying when we go in about how we'll fit in or how we'll connect or how things are going to go or if they'll like my outfit or if people are going to talk to me, if we go in saying, Lord, help me to get a platter ready of the fruit of the Spirit to bring some joy and some peace and some kindness and some love into this and let people be aware of that in my neighborhood, in my job, wherever I'm at, Lord, help them to see this. Help me to feed them a taste of who you are. That God will use our life to draw people into his presence and into who he is. Okay, there's too much sometimes talk of being relevant. If there's a bunch of hungry people out there, I say, man, I really want it. I want those hungry people to be attracted to me and drawn to me. I want those starving people to just, I really want them. I know they're starving and they're hungry and they're hurting, and I want to be able to go and connect with them, and I want them to know about God and so the best way for me to do that is for me to become hungry and starving and look the same and act the same so when I come talk to them, they can see that I'm just as hungry and starving as they are and we'll feel a connection. They'll think I'm relevant and then they'll listen to my message about Jesus. Okay, that's not what the Bible talks about. There should be such a difference. We are light. We are an aroma. We are salt. Those are things that stand out. I'm going to walk into a situation where the person's hungry, and rather than trying to make myself look as hungry as they are, I'm going to walk in with this bountiful tray of God's goodness and say, I'm not hungry. I know where the food's at. Come and find the Lord. Come and walk with Him. And so God's called us to do that, to stand out by the fruit that He grows in our life and to share it. And so I'm going to challenge you a couple things, and we're going to pray, but I want to challenge you on this. One is to really start praying as you go into work, or as you go into different situations with family, friends, people that don't know the Lord, it's neighborhood parties, uh, whatever the case is. Start praying, God, let the fruit of the Spirit in my life be something that I'm consciously sharing with others.
If someone needs peace, God, let me see that they need peace and let me take the peace you've given me and offer them some of that. Or let me see the love you've given me and offer them some of that. God, let me see, God, the kindness you've shown to me and offer them some of that kindness to meet their needs. God, let me do these things with your heart so that as I do that, God, they can not just see that, well, you're a pretty good neighbor, but they can see you. Because we're surrounded by them. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful. It says lift up your eyes. The fields are white with harvest. There's people everywhere right now that are hungry and starving for what God has for them. And all they need is somebody to come along and say, here's some food. Here's what God has for you. And let God start to draw in their heart. So, Father, we just thank you, God, for your goodness and for your word. And I pray, Lord, in this world, God, that is full, full, God, of people that are hungry or people that are thirsty, people that need your spirit. God, they need, God, your grace in their life. Lord, help us, Father, to bring something to the table. Lord, help us not to come in, Lord, to their lives empty-handed. Lord, let us come in, Father, ready to go, Lord, with a dish that's prepared, God, of the fruits of your Spirit, to say, hey, here's something that God has. Lord, help us to be secure enough in, our, in, in ourselves, Lord, as you have loved us and cared for us, and in our relationship with you, God, that we can look outside now of our own needs and be able to look to others and to bring them, God, what they need, Lord, which is you. God, I pray for that, Lord. I thank you for it. God, I pray you bless each person, Father, as we go this week. God, I pray that next week there will be some testimonies and stories, even, Lord, of people that say, man, I was able to share this with my neighbor, with my coworker, with the family, with a friend, or with the person at the store. God, that you will use us continually, God, to bring, God, your goodness into people's lives, Father, that they would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to dismiss, um, but I do want to uh, just highlight a couple things from this week. Uh, we do have the community groups on Tuesday night. We also have the women's coffees on Wednesday. There's a couple of those going on and Bible studies. And then what's new starting this week is a men's uh, Bible study and coffee at Panera Bread from 7.30 to 8.30. And that's going to be every Saturday. So we will still try to do some things where we uh, go out and serve on some of those days. We go out and have a fun adventure after we're done. But we're just going to build a consistency of getting together, sharing in God's word, praying together, building each other up, challenging each other to have an impact in the world around us. So that's 7.30 to 8.30, it's at the Panera Bread that's at Stonehill. So as many of you guys can come out, I'll be there. I know that quite a few guys have already said they'll be there. So try to come out and enjoy with us. Uh, if you don't have a lot of money, just grab a coffee. Uh, that's cheap and just hang out. If you can't even afford that, just come and have some water because it's really about prayer and fellowship time. And we're going to start doing that together regularly. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for being here. I love you guys. Uh, there's lots of stuff out there, so stick around and make some friends. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.